We're gonna be alright I wanna see you fly Come on, let's go Let's go with grace Hey, and welcome to the Soul Force Podcast. Go with grace. Responding to white Christian supremacy with resistance and resilience. Here we ask, what is white Christian supremacy and how does it show up in our daily lives? I'm your host, Grace Nichols. I'm also an actor, writer, drag performer, and comedian. And along those lines, I'm so excited to share my most recent interview with y'all. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Joey Richards, a musician, stand-up comedian, and PhD student at UNC Chapel Hill. Last year, I had the opportunity to see their one-person show called Breaking Up With Jesus, about their Christian upbringing and the feelings of being judged and manipulated, yet stuck in a dynamic that was harmful, and their journey to disentangle themselves from all of that. Joey approaches their experiences with humor and wit, but also an eagerness to reclaim their spirituality and explore what healing and forgiveness could look like after such a trauma. I resonate with Joey's story because of my own experience of being kicked out of a church youth group after I came out. I felt really hurt and betrayed by people I loved and trusted. And so I'm also really interested in creating work that reinstates the things that white Christian supremacy attempts to steal from us. Things like self-worth, a sense of dignity, and joy. In this interview, Joey and I talk about their show and comedy as a strategy to facilitate healing and transformation. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with performance artist Joey Richards. I love the intentional sort of study and application Mm. of comedy as a form. I like to think of it as a strategy. Mm. I really enjoy trying to approach something in that way. It feels like it makes the content a little bit more accessible, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's one of the things I really enjoyed about your show. So it's called Breaking Up With Jesus. So the show essentially sort of frames your connection to Christianity, your relationship with Jesus as a sort of toxic gay relationship. And that feels like heavy subject matter, Uh, but you approach it with such wit and humor and grace. First of all, could you sort of take us through the story arc of the show? Mm. Yeah, so the story arc is also connected to sort of the dramatic form arc of the show, I think. So it starts with a very stand-up setup, right? So it's like I get introduced to the stage, I come out, there's the microphone and the stool, and so it's very like classic comedy setup. Please welcome to the stage your next comic, Joseph Richards.
X's. Right? <laughs> fucking, fucking X's. Those motherfucking, fucking, fuck, whatever, fucking X's. <laughs> fuck them. That may sound bitter. But I am. <laughs> I am bitter. I recently went through a breakup. Well, really, it was 15 years ago, but it was just one of those relationships, you know? The kind that still hurts. I mean, we were in love, inseparable. And he told me he loved me all the fucking time, and I wanted to believe it. Fuck, I did believe it. You know those relationships where you make excuses for the person like, oh, you just set my clothes on fire. But I guess it was a little chilly in here. <laughs> so the story arc is basically me joking that I've just gone through a breakup. Really, it was like 13 or 14 years ago. And that breakup, I reveal, is not with a human flesh and blood person, but with Jesus Christ. But then the arc of the piece is then, why am I framing it as a breakup? What is it about the intimacy that's assumed in a breakup that also matches my relationship with Jesus? And then also how that intimacy and that relationship gets tied to and influenced by the other especially familial and romantic relationships in my life. So that's all leading to the moment when I rejected this relationship with Jesus Christ, when I said, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. The version of Christianity I grew up with frames it that way of, you know, welcome everybody unto me. I mean, that's the whole Beatitudes, right? It's like, blessed are these people who are essentially hated for these things because they can find a place here at church with Jesus. And so while I don't discount that religion and specifically Christianity probably have positive influences in people's lives. That line between the positive, like, let's welcome everybody to let's welcome everybody in order to make them homogenous in this Christian supremacy kind of way is like, especially as it intersects with whiteness, like, I mean, Christianity is about salvation, but in order to be saved, that means you have to be lost. Um, and in order to be saved, you have to be saved a certain way. I mean, conversion is like, that's not a light word. Um, right. I mean, you know, what Saul literally changed, had to change his name to Paul. Like, I mean, you're literally supposed to take on a new identity. By doing that, when I was looking for a sense of belonging, it's harder to see the negative things because it's also framed as the negative things are failing with you. Like if the system is not working, you're not praying hard enough, you're not as close to God's, and there's all this judgment of who I am uh, with my gender identity and sexuality and points of view in the world like that are just not a welcome part of that. So it's it preys on the need for, and by praise, I mean P-R-E-Y-S, I didn't mean to make a pun there, but like, it preys on the need for belonging and it preys on intimacy, right? Because like for me, I was taken to church with my family. And so that is a very intimate place. And a lot of my friends were at church. And so when your intimacy and when your sense of belonging come in this place, it's, I think, a lot harder to see just how that toxicity is seeping into your system. Yeah, I think about when I came out in church youth group and the people that I, that I really looked to as mentors and friends and, and family. And 
it felt so like the judgment felt so casual. And, and I think in your show, you do address a lot of like the manipulation and the gaslighting and they were genuinely so loving when they would, you know, just say like, this is not what God has planned for you. And, and then, and then ultimately you can't be here um, because of how you identify and how, and um, how you express yourself in the world. Ooh. And so I fully resonate with trying to figure out a different way to, to express those things. I mean, I've, I'm even feeling like emotional, you know, just like a pain body talking about those things. So I know we already talked about your affinity for comedy, but with this show in particular, was it always going to be set up this way in a comedic way? I think the answer is yes. That idea of a breakup with Jesus expanded to include all the parts I didn't want to talk about. So the comedy became a framing and it became a through line, but it didn't become a distraction or a deflection. Uh Comedy was necessary because it's how I move through the world anyway. It's like just how I live my life. I'm always trying to think of a joke Hmm. or a punchline or whatever, or frame something that way. But here's some depth to that. Like you can frame it and you can bring the audience along, like you said, in a strategic way. You can share it through this frame and this vehicle of comedy, but then recognize when sometimes the comedy's got to fall away so you can just sit and whatever is happening. After the regular church service, John Crutchfield, Chris Colson, and I went back to one of the Sunday school rooms in our dress shirts and khaki pants to put on our holy ponchos. (laughs) So we could stand in the baptismal pool and let a 60-year-old man dunk us in freezing water. When it was my turn, Jimmy said some biblical type words that definitely ended with, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. At which point he grabbed the back of my head with one hand, used the other hand to push me down and backwards and into the water. <laughs> when I came up, I heard songs. I saw lights. Was Jesus here? Did he come downstairs just for me? It turns out Dave Martin was singing a hymn and my mom was taking pictures with a flash on. <laughs> but I had done it. I'd given my heart to Jesus. I write and I think in parentheticals and I want to kind of like go on those tangents. That to me is the absurd when you're just kind of like, oh, I'm going on this kind of linear path. But then it's like, oh, but now I've got a thought that may or may not be related to that. And I want to explore it and I want to expand it and make it bigger and bigger and take it to its like illogical conclusions. Absurdity to me is sometimes like these interruptions that also are kind of connecting points. Like even if they feel very disconnected, sometimes they're a reprieve. It's very open to where the audience wants to connect to that as well. Like it's definitely a moment where you're not necessarily telling an audience, here's how you should feel. It's like, well, if it's absurd, they've got to connect in however they can, I think. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's brilliant. Like I love those moments of, like, it's not funny, but laughter does something different in those moments than just recognize that this is funny. Like, I think laughter has a lot of those layers to it. Right. It can be a discomfort. It's, mm-hmm. you know, someone connecting to that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and what can you do but laugh yeah. in a moment like that? It sounds like the audience is encouraged to have their own experience and take and take responsibility for what they're experiencing. And I think just highlighting 
absurdity in general can just help us work through a lot of things. This, you know, religious harm, the spiritual violence, it's all really dense. And and we're trying to figure out how how can we identify it in our daily lives and, and also how can we thwart it? But if it's so difficult to talk about, it makes it hard to even go there. Well, and one thing that I think about with absurdity as well is it, I think it makes us ask, what is really absurd here? Like, is it less absurd to believe that there is an all-powerful deity who has very specific ideas about who he does and doesn't love? We are taught that Christianity is only for certain people. I mean, it's for everybody. That's the mission. It's got to save everybody. But it only wants this one kind of person who looks and sounds this way. That, to me, is way more absurd to think that there's an afterlife that is that specific. Like, that is absurd. It's more absurd to think that than to think there's an afterlife in general, right? Like, that is whatever. But that it has the same criteria as we have, like, that doesn't make any sense. So with that, what's next for the show? Do you have any aspirations or or what are things looking like now? I want to see it in a church, honestly. Like, I really do. I just, as we're talking about this, I have a very vivid image. I don't know which church this is in my memory, but I have a very vivid image of uh, carpeted church with pews and like a nice pulpit area. Like I have, I would love to see it in a space like that. Yes. Bring it home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think there are churches that would want to see something like this because I do think that the thing about Christian supremacy and white supremacy and white Christian supremacy is like, they are not eternal. Like they can be defeated. And a lot of times I think maybe not, not for everybody, but they are processes that are, that are learned, that are inculcated in people. But I think there are people who are trying to undo those things they've learned that they've grown into. And I think there are, Christians who are actively trying to figure out how do I like maintain something I love and get rid of all this, the evil in it, or like get get rid of those things. And so they're really grappling with it. So I think hearing these stories, maybe a piece like this or similar pieces to breaking up with Jesus can help even facilitate those conversations. Like I want it as an entertainment piece. Like I enjoy doing it and I wanted to give it to audiences, even those with no experience of a similar background. But I really would like to give it to Christian audiences who are wanting to engage with the ways that Christianity has harmed individuals. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that a lot of Christians will appreciate it. I think a lot of Christians are are looking for the opportunities and the tools to do that. And yes, right on. Soul Force works in that realm of uh, it's framed as trying to help Christians not be so tender about their faith and their Jesus and sort of cultivate that accountability. I, I certainly always say that faith is really important 
And if your faith practices are causing harm, uh, then, you know, let's have a look at that. And that's, uh, that's the same with whiteness. That's the same with any sort of dominant social category that has benefited from uh, of a system of oppression that's in place. And then we also, you know, try to work with the folks that, that have been on the other side of that harm. And so it sounds like it will be refreshing and healing for lots of people to experience this work and to laugh, Mm -hmm. um, to have an opportunity to connect and witness uh, something that, that many of us have been through, but in a way that doesn't leave us feeling so depleted uh, (laughs) that we uh, don't want to talk about it ever again. Yeah. Well, I think that's why it was so important to end on the forgiveness piece, because it's clear that people are searching for spirituality, but a certain version of Christianity has had a very strict monopoly on spirituality at least in in the U.S. and and for me in the Southern U.S., I don't know that I want to be a Christian again. I I don't think that feels right to me, but I would like some kind of access to spiritual in my life in a Mm -hmm. way and recognizing that the stuff I went through harmed me being able to access that side of it. And so literally like when I say at the end of the show, Jesus, I forgive you, that's me trying to get to that place where I actually forgive this so I can let that go, maybe not even let it go because it will always be a part of me, but at least figure out a way to do it differently for myself. So an example, my partner and I, we've been together for 12 years. We recently eloped in February, but it was a long conversation about what marriage meant for us. Like it, that's another one, right? That's so tied up in all these things, marriage, spirituality. They've been used to keep people out. They've been used to oppress people, both economically, socially, like all these different ways, right? If we think about marriage as a historical practice that has happened like worldwide in different ways, how do we think about reframing like a, a cultural celebration of commitment with each other that allows ourselves to feel something yeah. that is not part of what other people have excluded us from, that it is ours. Like, and that to me is also similar with, with the conversation around spirituality and religion. Like how can we make it ours? Same with Christianity. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not, but it's the work we have to do, those of us taking part in that system. But then also, like, those of us who've been hurt by those things, too, it's like, how do we, how do we have conversations and move forward in a community that looks different? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I joke that um, I say that I'm queer married, whereas I think <laughs> gay married is like, you feel like marriage is the natural progression of a relationship and queer married is um you have harsh critiques of the institution of marriage but you do it anyway i think the separating of the two people and making their own new community i don't that's bullshit i think and that's part of what i think that i mean that's the ways also whiteness is tied into that and sort of the, the standard family that has to become its own thing and separated from this idea of community 
And so then, I like the term queer married. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we feel very similarly, it, you know, and, and that the, the disentangling is possible and the, the recreating, the rebirthing of uh, something that has historically been and can still be very oppressive. And then the, the other side of, but we also get to do it. We also get to do the things that celebrate us and our lives and our love. And we should be able to do those things in ways that feel meaningful and that aren't caving to, uh, uh, to an oppressive thing. Yeah. Um, it's cool to think about like queering confession. <laughs> and- I'm writing that down right now. I, like, even if nothing ever comes from that, I really just even love that phrase. So. Do it. I really do love that idea because to me, like part of the root of, or the idea of querying things is um, communalizing things. It's Mm -hmm. about community. Whereas the standard version we get, I mean, religion is still, and you know, a Christian supremacist religion is still very individual. It's very individualized. The forgiveness is individualized. The healing is individualized, even though there's like, you know, church service, mass, whatever coming together. But like when you are forgiven, it's not necessarily a community forgiveness. There's an idea, at least of the practice of saying, I have something in me that has hurt my community in a different way. I would now like to share that with the community and recognize that I see that and I would like for the community to still for us to still be the community basically mm. like I love you you love oh this is turning into Barney that's not what I meant but like, <laughs> like <laughs> you love me I love you see we can't run that um <laughs> and recognizing that we're not perfect but our imperfections are not sins yeah there's a expansiveness in it it's like it's like an invitation Mm. versus a scolding yeah you know Mm. Mm. I think of communion as well I I remember communion being really meaningful to me and I also don't identify as Christian and don't feel like that practice and identity resonates with me anymore but I remember what was so appealing about it was the the come as you are, as like you are accepted as you are, this unconditional love promotion, <laughs> um, which didn't end up being true. But I just remember feeling so comforted by that. And um, the communion was an expression of that experience of, um, that I could go and be in, in relationship with this faith practice, with these, these spiritual beings that I believed in. And that does feel like a practice like that, I'd feel excited to participate in again, if it had a sort of different meaning and context. I do remember a very specific moment in my life. So the Southern Baptist Church I grew up in, we only did communion once a month, uh, so one Sunday. A month and we had like saltine crackers that were broken up downstairs and then uh welch's grape juice and little cups mm-hmm. and i purposely one time like i just remember saying like, oh, i don't just des- i don't deserve to yeah. take pain right now right this idea that you could do something to not be worthy of communion in church even judas 
sat at the table with Jesus during the Last Supper, right? Like, so to, to be disinvited from the table, to be disinvited from communion, I mean, that being the first communion, the Last Supper, really, like, to be disinvited from that says something to people. Even when that person could dine together, even when we would bring people that we disagree with to our tables and our homes, in this place I'm being told, because of who I am, I can't partake in that, whether it's because I've sinned, whether it's because I'm queer, whether it's because of whatever, like, that is a very powerful message that we are communicating with one small piece of food that I haven't really thought about until this conversation about just how much is wrapped up in the small, the seemingly small act of refusing communion to somebody. Mm -hmm. Queer communion. Queer communion. I would love to see a yeah. queer communion that does not discount that people are imperfect, but also does not kick anybody off of the table. Right. I, I love what you said about Judas being there. It it feels very hopeful. And I think people um, sort of need those messages that, to me, I think about the opportunity to transform and change uh, without these outlets to be honest about the harm we've caused. People get stuck. Mm -hmm. And so that's why that moment at the end of your show felt so powerful because there's possibility in forgiveness. Well, after, like that to me in a lot of ways is sometimes more vulnerable than crying because sometimes laughter also surprises us. And that's a very vulnerable spot to be in, to realize like, oh, I really did not mean to laugh at that or I wasn't uh -huh. planning on laughing at that. So what does that reveal about me and, and how I'm connecting to that? Uh -huh. The other opportunity I'm thinking about is is that concept of punch up and punch down. Mm. People are realizing a lot of the comedy that has punched down for so long and exploited uh, the experiences of marginalized communities for humor. And um, I've been saying recently, it feels a sort of age of accountability mm -hmm. and you can't do stuff in the world anymore with the internet and someone's not gonna notice and say something. And that has all of its complicated layers too, but it feels like we're in a moment of being more outspoken, of calling out the things that are harmful. And comedy is definitely a world that's been cis white male dominated. Yeah, and I think it's recognizing too that it's like, I don't think anybody's really saying like, people can't have feelings <laughs> or express how they uh -huh. feel. But it is recognizing that those don't happen in a vacuum. And what you view sometimes as play or playing is very powerfully oppressive in different uh -huh. ways and has these <clears throat> tangible reverberations off of the stage. Like what you say on stage doesn't just stay there. Comedy doesn't just happen in front of a microphone. Like it is a force that kind of moves out from that. And so the ways that you participate in that actually affects other people. But that's also, it operates different depending on the body you have uh -huh. and depending on the space you're in and depending on all these other intersecting privileges. So like, how do we dissect those ways and not think like, oh, you know, comedy is just pure. Christianity is just pure. Like they're natural, whatever. 
it's like, no, they're, they're created and they're structured and they go through these different places and, and pulling those things out. You mentioned the rebirth. It's like, that's part of it. Like pulling those things out is figuring how we want to do them differently. And I think there's so many, especially newer comedians, comedians on like open mic stages and stuff that we don't necessarily see on Netflix who are like, we're doing it differently. We're doing it for us. Comedy is for us. We're doing it this way. Yeah, powerful. And so forth, we talk about yeah, what are the underlying ideologies that mm -hmm. have made it into a place. So yeah, we are absolutely all free to do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And if we uh, want to bring it back to community and being communal with each other, what is the analysis of harm? How are we examining our impact on each other? I'm trying to accept that that was a part of my life that it's affected me in ways that I can actually grow and learn from. And it doesn't have to define me going forward and that I can actually forgive Jesus and forgive Christianity for what it kind of brought into my life. Do you know that after the last time we saw each other, I flipped off every church I drove by? <laughs> I hated you that much. I didn't want you and I didn't want anyone else to want you either. I still feel that way to some degree. I don't think you can ever make anyone truly happy. I don't. But I hope that maybe one day you can. Maybe you'll meet the right person for you. <laughs> Someone that you can truly love unconditionally. It just hurts that it couldn't be me. <laughs> but Jesus, I just want you to know. I forgive you. I was a good kid. If you'd like to keep up with Joey or invite the show Breaking Up with Jesus to your community, you can email Joseph Patrick Richards at gmail.com or Joseph R.I. at live.unc.edu. I'll be sure to include those emails in the show notes as well as an article about their show if you'd like to learn more. A password-protected recording of Breaking Up With Jesus is available for viewing on Vimeo, so please be in touch with Joey if you'd like to view the recorded performance. Thank you, thank you, Joey, for your time, talent, and hilarious and healing contributions to the world. Go With Grace is written and produced by me, Hideo Takui at A Chili Bowl Production is our editorial advisor and sound designer. The theme song is by me, clips of Breaking Up With Jesus provided by Joey Richards. Additional music by Blue Sky Moon, Danielle Dragunov, Sonde, and Simon Sharp. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Be sure to check out all of our other episodes on Spotify and Podbean. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you like what you hear. Also, please rate and review. It really helps new listeners find this podcast, and we'd love to know what you think. You can email me at grace at soulforce.org. We'd love to connect. Until next time, go with grace, my friends.